Nikki. Hey, Selena. <laughs> and welcome to Sweet Tea and TV. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. <laughs> hey guys. Just, oh, don't worry. I'll play both parts. <laughs> Selena, that was dumb. All right, moving on. <laughs> You're keeping up my end of the bargain. Thank you. I um, actually have a housekeeping thing before we get oh, started housekeeping. Today. Yeah, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but last episode we talked about like who would we pick to appear on a bank note? Like if we got oh, that opportunity. Oh, right. I remember. Okay. So, and I made an offhand comment about being surprised that Eisenhower was on the dime. Mm. Here's why I was nervous. I started thinking about it and I was like, I think I said the wrong legacy for him. I said something about him like being... Um, uh, the reason for the highway system. Oh, uh-huh. Okay. So I, like I went and I, uh, I fact checked myself. Oh, thank God. I have great news. Okay. I was right. I knew you were right. I thought maybe I had gotten it confused with like a Truman legacy. So this is the new president's podcast in case you were wondering. <laughs> but anyways, I was right. That's the important part. So that's the important part. <laughs> That's what's important. Well, hold on. We're getting there. We're getting there. So I wound up running across a couple of interesting things that I either didn't know at all or I'd kind of forgotten about. Um, but one is like, this is a cool guy. He's a cool guy. Um, I hear myself. He's, I had days and confused in my head. It's not important. Okay, so he sponsored and signed the Civil Rights Bill of 1957. He balanced the budget, not once, not twice, but three times. That's impressive. We don't really get that happening a lot anymore. I'm just saying. It's important. He ended the Korean War and he kept America at peace. So suddenly I'm like sitting there. I'm like looking at all of this. He and I'm like. should be on the dollar. That's Well, I was like, he should be on the quarter. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, well, something went wrong. Uh-oh. I did get something wrong. Oh. He's not on the dime. Oh. <laughs> I am at all. He's on the, he's on the silver dollar. <laughs> Man, I don't even know. Half dollar. Like some special coin that yeah. doesn't exist yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's FDR. That's on the dime. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I got my old white men confused. Oh, is what sure, I'm trying to sure, say. sure, sure. Got it. Yeah, they all look the same when they're on silver. You know, that's what I'm it's true. Yeah, it's hard to tell the difference. So I just felt like I needed to come back because someone out Thank there God. knows who's on a dime. <laughs> I'm hoping a few people know, just what, not us. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, it wasn't you, and it wasn't me. <laughs> coin collector i could have put anybody on the dime and you probably would have been like yes 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 yes, yes, yes. except lincoln but, i know lincoln yeah that's yeah i don't know anyway so i just felt like and i know george washington yeah see a lot of dollars mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. wait <laughs> yeah. weird is it i don't know i used now to I wait tables now i feel weird so it all connects though and here's why bank notes are currency what is currency really Money. Money, money, money. And where does money come from? Work. Treasury. Oh. (laughs) And what is this episode kind of about? Workers' rights. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, look at you. Did you just transition us? Kind of. So can I go into the Hulu episode description? Please take this away from me. Wow. Well done. I like it. So this episode is called, But They're Really Great Curtains. Uh, Or IMDb says it's just curtains. So you decide. The Hulu episode description is, the women of sugar bakers find themselves literally, literally in the middle of a labor dispute with angry pickets surrounding the building. January 2nd, 1989 is when it aired. So we're getting close to the 90s. Well, they're in style, so we need to... Did you know the 90s were 30 years ago? I can't talk about it. I know. Uh, We are calling this one, 
doesn't matter if it's curtains or, well, they're, but they're really great curtains. We're calling it the evil money sucking cash whoring decorator monster. And that's no hate to money suckers, cash whorers, or monster decorators. <laughs> that was a line in the show. It was. Thank you. Blame LBT and or Pamela Norris because they co-wrote this one. Um, and this is the first time we've seen a writing credit for Norris. Selena tells me, according to her IMDb, <laughs> she's here to stay through the end of the show. Her credits include a four-year stint on SNL, including an Emmy nomination, and she also co-wrote the movie Troop Beverly Hills. Ooh. I, however, am not just your parrot. I do my own research. Oh, perfect. When I researched Pamela Norris, I found out that your description didn't include her illustrious stint of three Jeopardy wins in Ooh. 1985. She was also a co-producer on Hearts of Fire and a consulting producer on Emerald, also LBT Vehicles. Yeah, they must be good friends in real life. I'm so sorry. I really, I just thought you would think the Troop Beverly Hills thing was the most interesting. I was trying to tailor it to your Thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't know about the Jeopardy thing. I know. That's crazy, huh? Yeah, good for her. So it's directed by David Trainer. General reactions. Give me one. I'll give you one. Well, okay, all right. So Selena's going to give me like eight. Yeah, you know it. Um, so we've given LBT a lot of praise over the course of the show for using, like, this as a vehicle to raise important issues. And certainly taking on the lack of protection for laborers. Yeah. Them. Yep. Is, is very admirable. You know, there's no getting around that. And I'm, I'm guessing it was pretty rare for 1989. I did actually try and poke around. I didn't see anything where they really did anything significant in any shows. I'm sure someone could prove me wrong. But um, I just feel like the execution for this one was a little off. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you why. Tell me. I think it's because it's hard for me to watch this episode and not think about how something would be executed today. Okay. Okay. So I think today it would be handled differently I think we give more screen time to the workers and like Margaret, who we meet later in the episode. Mm -hmm. I think we would have given them the opportunity to tell their story. I think we were sort of like in this version, we're sort of telling the story for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I also thought the timing needed some fine tuning on this one. So I would, I'm, I didn't not like the B-plot for Mary Jo's car situation, Mm -hmm. but I do think that that pulled from the main thrust of the episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, especially when we're focusing on something that we're considering important. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then another thing that could have done, like if we just can't lose that, then I think we could have tightened up how long we spent just being flabbergasted by the picketing of sugar papers. Like we spent a lot of time living in that moment. Yeah. So that was my very first general reaction. It was four things. <laughs> it was a lot. And I think you touched on a few things I have throughout the episode, mm-hmm. um, throughout our podcast episode. So my first general reaction is that this is two advocacy style episodes in a row. So we just had one. The last one we covered had like um, those sharp points about relationships and sexual harassment with the um, construction workers. Oh, right, right, right. And Mm -hmm. so we talked a lot about sexual harassment. This one, we're going to talk about workers' rights. So it just kind of feels like a little bit of a heavy run back to back. 
Yeah, um, I agree with that. But I did um, want to bring up here, because I'm bringing up the fact that it's, you're mentioning it was sort of advocacy style, talking about workers' rights. I'm saying the same thing. So I found that 1988 was the scene for the longest strike ever of the Writers Guild against Hollywood TV and film studios. It lasted 153 days, March to August. Notably, this meant that the fall season for shows that year, so fall of 1988, um, started later. In fact, that's why it was late. We always announce the start of the or the air dates uh, at yeah. the beginning of each episode. Never occurred to me that the first episode of the season, Ursula, aired in November. It did occur to me, but I thought they were somehow trying to tie the um, next episode, the candidate. Um, where no. Julia runs oh, for oh, office. Oh. oh, that's smart. With the election. Oh, that's smart. Um, that's not but not, it was, you're right, it was wrong. <laughs> so, so this is so interesting. Okay. Uh, so yeah, like we, we were saying previous seasons had started in September. I also found that there were massive worker strikes in Poland that year and as well along or among nurses in England. So it's just kind of a big year for workers' rights. And so yeah. this was very topical. Yeah. For the time that we're talking and about. We, and we know LBT loves a current event. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's really, man, that's some impressive research. <laughs> I like that. Okay. So you explored real life and I, I explored TV. I felt like it had to come from somewhere. Sure. Because this is such a... It's so specific, It's right? very niche. Yeah. yeah. And to do it back to back with that previous episode about sexual harassment, it just felt something was going on. Right. Something was circulating. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't want this to be condescending. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so scared. It's good. Every time I tell somebody good job, I'm like, do I sound like an a-hole? I appreciate it. Because I mean it, it like you. in a really nice way. It's a huge compliment to me that you say that. So thank you. Um, You're very welcome. Okay. So my uh, second, my second general reaction is that we get two things um, that I think work well in sitcoms. So my second reaction is seven things. Okay. Um, but I love a little one and then sub points. That's right. I literally, um, I love a little fish out of water story or a big fish out of water story. Um, so they find themselves, our ladies, uh, sewing their curtains in the factory. Mm -hmm. And it was making me think a lot about, I love Lucy. Like it came out of that playbook. Have oh. you seen the chocolate factory episode? Sure. Okay. I mean, it's only we all have. No, we haven't. Also, if Everybody. you're out there and you have not seen the Chocolate you Factory, you have to. It's like sitcom history, you know? It's literally watching royalty, like, invent funniness, you know? I mean, and it's important, right? And, like, that episode came out at least 30 years before we were born. And you know what we did? We took the time. Yeah. We I mean, you time. just have to watch it. It's Lucille Ball. Yeah. That's classic TV. But it also kind of goes back to that thing that we talk about. Please don't use your age for an yeah. excuse not to have seen something before you were born. Like, get it together. Eh, it's whatever. It's fine. Um, so, also the other, the second thing that I really thought worked well, like here and like in sitcoms generally, is like preconceived notions being turned on their heads. Mm -hmm. So, Mary Jo calls uh, the picketers uh, quote-unquote unskilled laborers at one point before she gets a little taste of what they do. Oh, uh-huh. And then even Julia is on the wrong side of things for much of the episode, or at least what the episode, like, sets up as the wrong side of things. I, right. I mean, it is to me, too. I mean, but there might be people out there who see the other side, so I don't want to <sighs> step are on welcome. anyone's toes. 
But, um, you know, because for her, the strike means like a loss of business for sugar bakers. They're always on the precipice of losing the business. Maybe. Yeah. So, but then she runs into Margaret at the factory. She realizes they're getting paid by the the pace. Well, yes, but by the piece. The piece. (laughs) Just wanted, this is a Southern podcast. Um, (laughs) But they're getting paid by the piece, which is illegal, which I had to look up because like, I don't know anything. Uh, I just took it on its word. So that's. That's true? I think it is true. Okay. Yeah. I think I looked it up. It was like a month ago. <laughs> I'm like, where are we? <laughs> I, who am I? Who are you? <laughs> what are you doing in my house? <sighs> in my closet. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing in my closet? Um, strays? <laughs> generals? Oh, wait, I have I'm two more generals. I have two goodness. more generals. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Along the lines of what I think you're kind of getting at there, I appreciated Charlene's first reaction to the strike, which is that people weren't going to have food. They were going to starve. It just felt like a really true to her character response. It was oddly on topic. It was, but it was still like more in her wheelhouse, like the story, the connection she told to the the strikers. Yeah. I just liked it. Yeah. And like true to her, not just the character that we've met, but the, uh, where she came from. Right. Yeah. That all felt like it fit together nicely. I agree. And then uh, my last general reaction, it goes back to that B plot about women at a mechanic. And I just, that B plot felt irrelevant for this episode. Like, I feel like there was a better place for it, but I'm glad she did it because I think it's a universal female experience. And yeah, I'm a, there's something that's aged. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Like, Not I mean, a day. I have certainly, I have been guilty of calling a male figure in my life from the mechanic so that they knew that I had someone that I was like interacting with so they couldn't mess me up or having to fall back into that old stereotype where and i have to do this from time to time and i don't like to do it but just to get people off my arse Mm. is i'll be like oh i'm so sorry but i'm just gonna have to run that by my husband yeah and i don't want to do that but like i just sort of get the vibe for who i'm on the phone with and i'm like "Mm." i do that when i'm at the store and they're trying to sell me internet yeah. Or a new cell phone. I'm like, oh gosh, my husband handles. I wouldn't even know where to start. I don't, what's a gigab? I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> I'll ask my husband and we'll get back to you. But you know, the truth is too, is it's like, we're also partners. That's what the truth of it That's is. That's the real truth. Yeah. I mean, we really so do run I'm gonna, things by each other. And I expect the same in kind. Yeah. So I don't, like, we're not trying to be damsels in distress. Like, sometimes you just need to get someone off of you. Well, Kyle, my, I am not a damsel in distress because oh, Kyle no, was not. gone one day and he had his car and I had my car. And the backstory is I don't drive my car very often. I hadn't driven in in probably three months because we just drive one car now. And it wouldn't start. And I had the kids with me. So I had to jump my car off by myself. Another Costco find is a battery that a battery jumper that's electric. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Did it myself. And I hate doing that. It terrifies me. Um, and I had to go to the battery store and get a new battery myself. And the man was really nice about the whole thing, but he did try to sell me like the premium battery. Of course. It's like $150 more than like the me- middle of the road one. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I don't drive this car very often. That seems excessive for what I need. I, I appreciate that you think you're looking out for me, but I'm going to go with the the second tier one. middle of the road. Yeah. And then Kyle later told me I would have gotten the cheapest one. I was like, whatever, man. <sighs> whatever. I wouldn't even gotten a battery. <laughs> I would have just pushed it with my manly muscles. <laughs> whatever. <sighs> so now strays? Sure. I have Stray fashion. for the strays. I have fashion notes. Oh, wonderful. Oh my gosh, are there visuals? But I have visuals, so okay. I need a second. Do you want me to do a stray while you're... I do. Okay. So um, 
Yeah, I think just building on what you... <laughs> then I'm going to interrupt you and say, I found him. Well, <laughs> perfect. Um, just, actually, my first stray was about Mary Jo and the car thing. So the only other thing I was going to say is I completely identify with her, them asking her to make the noise. I've had to do that before. Yeah. Like more than once. To a mechanic. Yes. And oh. over the phone. And I could just totally see like a whole group of people just sitting around like On laughing speaker. at the phone. Yeah. yeah. Listen to this woman going, a chug, a chug. I don't know. Is that a real noise? I don't, yeah, I'm sure I was like, a ping, ting. Ma'am, I think your tire fell off. <laughs> you need to get to the hospital right away. <laughs> okay, so my first fashion note was just the ladies in jewel tones at the beginning of the episode. So oh, they were yeah. all sort of in that same palette they're all pretty colors palette's the right word yeah got like a nice gold a deep purple and that color charlene's wearing is like a it's weird it's it's kind of like a teal turquoise yeah yeah it's really pretty it is pretty then we had this look i'm gonna call this a look this is like a whole thing for mary joe a black turtleneck with a hot pink skirt Oh, How nice. cute that is. She looks adorable. Yeah, I like that. And I, I feel like that outfit would hold today. That's right. Do her right. Oh, so cute. Right, exactly. And then just another Julia crisscross belt. She's in it again. Which I uh, I almost sent you something. I saw it on Stranger Things, I think. The crisscross belt? I think I did. Oh. Um, so, God, I wonder if I think it's one some... of the moms was wearing it. I have Googled this several times. Like, I'm a little embarrassed because I need to know if it was a specific designer or like we talked about before, or was it something they specially created for her? But if you saw it. I saw something that was really similar. I should have taken that picture. You should you should have. Well, I'm 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 going to rewatch all of Stranger Things again because I'm really cool like that. And as I do, I'll look out for the belt again. Thank you. It might be about a week <laughs> before I get through all four seasons. <laughs> You know, again, I understand. I have a big life. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Um, okay, good fashion notes. Thank you. Uh, Mary Jo, we learned she drives a Volvo. Mm-hmm. So um, tuck that away in the old Marine. Yeah, you're telling me it's just good to know. Sure. I don't know. We need like, and I also think it's like it's just good to know about someone we don't know. Well, I think sometimes it's sort of like playing into their personality a little bit. Mm. You know, it's a very safe car. She has kids, family oriented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. The total they're charging to fix it, five oh six then, that would be eleven seventy three today. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of jack. That's all I'm saying. Um, and I got one more. Suzanne goes to get pork rinds. What about Noelle? <laughs> she doesn't care. Addendum. Pork rinds are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> she really doesn't. She just care. Uh, don't feed them to Noelle and don't eat her. Right. Eat them. Fr- Maybe exactly. she's eating them now. Because she cannot eat them later. Uh, right. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. On your note about Mary Jo's Volvo, then, I, I think in this same episode, we hear about Suzanne's Cadillac. And I don't know if we've ever talked about the fact that she drives a Cadillac. Wait. Is it Suzanne a Ca- drives a Mercedes. Is it a, maybe it's a Mercedes. You're right. Maybe it's a Mercedes. Maybe um, Julia we, drives a Lincoln Town Car. She does. Mm-hmm. Is that soon? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we're shadowing. <laughs> and also the Sweet Tea and TV automobile podcast, <laughs> sort of. Right. I'm like, is it a Mercedes or a... To follow our president's podcast. <laughs> They're all so good. They're all so good. My last stray is about location. Okay. 
<laughs> so Anthony refers to Textile City as being off 75 North and then exiting at the Big Chicken. Yep. So there is a KFC, which we talked about in season one of the podcast. I meant to look up what episode and I could, I did not do that. But we talked about there being a KFC. It's housed in a four-story season replica. Season one, episode two. Thank you. That's of sick. a giant chicken. <laughs> It's a very Georgia thing. Uh, it's located off Highway 41, not I-75. So I've looked this up multiple times on Google Maps because I honestly got a little confused in my own head. You would pass it on the way to Textile City mm-hmm. if it's off 75 North, but you don't turn at it to get to Dalton, which is where allegedly Textile City is. Um, it's like a whole side trip on its own. You get off the exit, you go down the road. So what we have is a southern directional faux pas. Correct. But let me ask you something. You So this confused you in hearing it, or did you read somewhere that this was wrong? I read it in your notes that it was wrong. Oh. And then, again, because I am more than just your parrots, I had to go back and do my own research because I've been to the Big Chicken before, and I was like, I should know this. And I wanted to know of which I spoke. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I shared that part with you <laughs> about the directional faux pas. All right. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, that's fair. And then the distances. It was wrong. The distances were a little bit confusing. Uh, intentionally, I think so. But Dalton, just so everybody knows, is about an hour and a half it's north a of Atlanta. Way. When they said it's like on the Tennessee border. Um, and the Big Chicken's located in Marietta, also north of Atlanta. Um, but very far from the Tennessee border. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But not four hours far, which is how long it took them when they got lost at the end. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. See? It's fair. For, for me, though, what's sad is, though, I live here. I live here. Family in Marietta. Oh. And, like, I, the only reason I knew is because I saw it on IMDb. Oh. Yeah. I would have noticed. Well, Kyle used to live in Marietta in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know it's that general direction. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, it's, and it's not directionally inaccurate. I want to be clear about that. Like, it is the right direction. Mm-hmm. It's just you don't get there and turn left to right. get to Dalton. Right, you keep right, right, going. Right. You just keep going. It right. would be a whole side trip on its own. Yeah. Maybe worth it if you like KFC. I don't don't ever go left. Isn't that the takeaway? Sure. Just. I try all, not to go left. Right. It's usually the hardest turn. All rights lead home and just keep trucking straight and take the road less traveled, right? I just got my new tattoo. <laughs> Perfect. Get all of those. All of it down my all forearm. Yeah, get yourself. Get yourself. Start that sleeve. Um, okay. All right. So what about what we liked? Suzanne's anecdotes are on point in this episode. All right. Tell me what, what really worked for you. I loved she was her. also a high for me. I loved her comparison of Mary Jo's car troubles to Colleen Metcalf. Mm-hmm. They said having her ears pinned back made her chin too prominent. Then having her chin filed down made her nose look too big and on and on and on. If it was bumpy, make it flat. If it was big, make it little. If it was little, make it huge. Until every inch of that woman's body had been whittled, tucked, lifted, pinned, implanted, or sucked. I mean, she had enough plastic in her for a Tupperware party. I loved that. I loved it so much, but I didn't love it as much as the next one mm-hmm. when she said she herself was made mostly of grizzle. When she was talking about the lady with all the meat hanging off of her at the pageant, <laughs> she said there was a woman, she had steaks and chops all over herself, and she was carrying a sign that said beauty pageants are meat markets. And it's Lady Gaga. Said, right, right. She said, then you're looking at grade A prime rib right here. She said she herself was mostly grizzle. I just love the way she said it. I listened to it multiple times. That's so funny. Yeah, that first delivery too, where she's just like, mm-hmm. you know, talking about Colleen or whatever. That, 
it's just really great writing, but you need the two things, right? You need the writing and you need the good actor. You can't separate the two. No, because one will, if you got, if you don't have one, you have nothing. Right. So yeah, it was, it was great. I loved her. Um, I had one more additional Suzanne line. Oh, okay. That was a like for me. Um, this is later on when they, only, when they find out they're only going to get 50 cents for four hours of work. Uh, and she says, 50 cents. Are you telling me that three grown-up women just work four hours for 50 cents? I once had a man offer me $400 just to, <laughs> and then right about then, Mary Jo cuts her off. And I, I want to hear it. I know, just like, to what? what? Yeah, just to what? <laughs> I'm going to guess motorboat. Oh, yeah, maybe. There it's you true. go. <laughs> so now we know. We'll just fill that gap in. There's a joke in there, too. Anyways, what else did you like? Uh, my last like for this episode was Anthony's impression of Mary Jo. So good. Get on with yourself. <laughs> uh, he was so funny. It was a, that was great. And then it is also just that idea of like him just spitting out all of that real car savvy stuff. Yeah. It's oh, just, yeah. It was just perfect. And then um, him, him getting the offer of a date was nice. <laughs> That really did it for that guy. He was like, I've always wanted myself a car woman. <laughs> um, I, so I had like, there were some funny parts at the um, textile factory. Is that the, it's not the right word. I think so. Is Workshop? It? I guess. I don't know. Sweatshop, maybe. You can tell I've been in a lot of textile factories. <laughs> Anyways. Um, sewing room? <laughs> yes. When the ladies try and finish sewing the curtains themselves. <laughs> um, Mary Jo calls Suzanne an unskilled laborer, to which Suzanne replies she's proud to say that none of her social circle has skills. <laughs> I love that. It's a point of pride for her. Which is really, it's really all Suzanne things because the other thing that I thought was the funniest is when she sewed her hair into Heron. the curtains. And let me tell you why. Because that is me in home ec. I would have loved, did you really do that? No, but I was no good. Oh, okay. I would have loved if like a hair piece had fallen out or something. Oh, yeah. That would have been very funny. Yeah. Uh, but she was, uh, she was batting. A thousand? Is that right? What are you batting? That sounds right. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, she was batting 12. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I also like Julia's schoolhouse rock on fair labor. That's what I'm calling it. Oh, I'm calling okay. It her schoolhouse of rock. <laughs> Wait. Schoolhouse of rock. That's not it. What is it? Schoolhouse rock. That's it. Yeah. You yeah. had it right the first time. I was time. getting uh, Jack Black yep. movie confused. Yep. I am not batting 1,000. Um, okay, so this is what she says. She says, you know, I was reciting it to myself just this morning, but there's a problem with it. It doesn't wash. See, basically, that argument goes, it's okay to be unfair to a small group if that makes things run smoother for a large group. It sounds good until you realize that's always been the excuse for all the injustice in the world. You have to look out for that argument because ultimately we're all small groups and we're all labor. So until you wake up and take in that fact, Mr. Emery, Textile City ain't big enough for the both of us. So I thought the lines were good. It's also a nice cue up for this week's Extra Sugar, mm -hmm. which will be about labor unions. <laughs> It sounds like it's a joke, and I'm going to tell you something else, like it's going to be a taste test, but it's really going to be about labor unions, so labor buckle unions. up, guys. I feel like it's also a cue up for a thing I didn't like. Tell me, tell me. Um, the, and uh, you mentioned this sort of at the top of the episode. I thought the way they introduced that lady at the end uh, was sort of lame, 
And like mm. almost the whole button on the episode, that piece of the episode was sort of lame. Okay. So like they've had these people standing outside their place of business for a week, weeks, I don't, some amount of time. Charlene's been out there talking to them, getting Born their coffee. life stories. It took this one lady coming at the end on the weekend to finally get Julia to be an ally. The yeah. rest of the episode, she's been kind of a jerk about labor rights. Yeah. And like kind of, so it took this one lady to like bring her around or something. Right. I don't know. It just felt really lame. Well, this is what I was talking about, about the execution just right. really slightly off. Yeah. So I think uh, just, a, I think this will kind of pair nicely with what you're saying. And this was one of my dislikes, mm-hmm. which was, I, I liked what she said to the manager. Yeah. I'm not sure that it's fair. She's the one that got to say it. Right. It should have been at the very least Charlene. Charlene. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, because she understood what, the, exactly what we've been saying this whole time. She understood from the beginning. And she was like an ally from the beginning. And so it felt a little unfair for Julia to be able to lay the smack down. Yeah. I love her Terminator tirades. I really do because we talk all the time about how articulate she is and how she says the things we wish we could say. But I do sometimes get annoyed she gets to be the the mouthpiece for everything when she's not always the, I don't know. I'm with you. She didn't deserve to say that. Yeah. Sit down, Julia. No one asked your opinion. Uh, What else did you dislike? That was the only one I wrote down. Okay. (laughs) You're like, I have other things. (laughs) I'm going to keep them to myself. That better not be for your secret podcast. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I only had just, uh, well, just one more thing. And this actually, I think the reason I even thought about this in the first place is because you mentioned uh, at some point, like, sometimes the laugh track is weird. Mm. And so I felt like I would have not kept the laugh track over this line that Anthony said just because it wasn't really funny and it was kind of like, whether it's kind of like a horrible situation. Maybe it's an uncomfortable laugh. But he says to Mary Jo, usually this room is crammed full of little women and big sewing machines. And then oh. it's like... <laughs> And I was like, uh, that's just weird. Yeah. I'm like, well, none of that's funny. Yeah. What? Like the line's not funny. Like reacting in that way isn't funny. I feel weird about laughing, like the, the laughter around it. And it already like laugh tracks already suck. Right. So the whole thing, I was just like, "Mm, weird. Yeah. But Mm. anyways, I think it's got me, once you said something, it's got me thinking about where they decided to um, Mm. put those laugh tracks. Yeah. And um, it wasn't a good placement. Not always good. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, So do you want to rate this sucker? I do. My rating scale is tomatoed auto body shops. Mm. I'm not going to be able to say that again. That's a toughie. I don't know why I picked that. (laughs) That's real tough. I'm going to shorten it to tabs. (laughs) Okay. I give it three out of five tabs. Okay. I thought this episode was fine. Like, yeah. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't my favorite to watch. I love the dialogue in parts, especially at the beginning. Some of the things Suzanne got to say, it felt kind of preachy, yeah. um, which we've said before, or at least I've said before, there's some episodes where I didn't feel like I was being preached to. Right. I knew I was watching something tremendous, but I didn't feel like someone was shoving it down my throat. It's- this one felt like that. It's like the reading episode where Dash Goff comes. Yeah. And they're like, books are important. The more you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's similar to that. And I, actually, I think that might have been episode seven in season two. So, and this is episode seven. So maybe this is just where we get you're just trying to hammer out a bunch of episodes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just where it just gets <laughs> preachy. 
Yeah, it's fine. I also gave it three out of five. Oh, um, on the same page. Proudly unskilled social circles. Three out of five proudly unskilled social circles. So also two very difficult reading skills. <laughs> uh, you said yours better, though. Uh, well, I'll screw up other places. There were some funny parts sprinkled throughout. Same as you. But again, it's, it's the same stuff. Just it didn't feel quite right. It didn't feel quite finished. So... It was a little lacking in some areas, so three out of five. Yeah, well. Three out of five ain't bad. I, I don't know. It's average. Uh, who buttered our biscuits? I guess it's the Sugar Bakers team. Okay. Because they put aside the really good deal to advocate on behalf of all the workers. Mine was integrity, question mark. Oh. You know, I wanted to do like a really large concept. Yeah. Are you going to break it down for us? Or is that it? Just integrity question Take it for mark. what you will. Okay. Yeah. Who lost the episode? Or who I mean, served us lumpy gravy? It has to be Mr. Emery, right? There's not another choice. He's I have the like villain. eight losses here. Oh. And Julia, right? I have everyone else question mark. Oh. Suzanne had to participate in manual labor, sewed her hair in curtains, can't move her neck, and gets threatened by co-workers unless she pickets Mary Jo's mechanic. If you just boil it down to that, it feels like she's having a rough day. Um, <laughs> it feels like, I don't know, a day at work. <laughs> Mary Jo's car is being held hostage, so, like... She's having to go, like, pry it out of the hands of these people. Um, sugar bakers lost their motel client. The textile place lost the sugar baker contract. It feels like everyone's having lumpy gravy at this point. Mm. Some of them deserve it, though, I think. There are no winners today. <laughs> 80s things? Jimmy Swagger. We've referenced him a lot. I think we even talked about him at one point in yeah. depth. We did, but this is, I'd say the only thing that's different this time is that this is the first post-scandal reference that insinuates that he's had an affair. Before this, he was like, I think he was still at his elevated status. Now really? he's with the rest of us. Yeah, oh. they were just, it was just about him being like a TV evangelical. Oh, interesting. I think. And now like. Maybe we broke down the fact that he had. I think we did. So for anyone who hasn't listened to past episodes, he was sort of the original televangelist. He was widely on TV as being a pastor. Yeah. I get that him and Jim Baker uh, Jim and Baker, Jerry right. Falwell, they all sort of I run together one of the originals. Head. I know, but I was just saying they all run together in my head. One so. of them. I'm so sorry. But he tearfully apologized on, on his television program in 1988 for being caught with a sex worker at a motel. There was a lot of tearful apologies that year, I think. Oh, really? From <laughs> all of these in guys? That, yeah. <laughs> like there was one, like, well, I didn't realize... All I'm saying is you guys go watch The Eyes of Tammy Faye Baker or The Eyes of Tammy, whatever it's called, with Jessica Chastain. Super oh, good movie. Is that what it's about? It's about her and as she plays Tammy Faye and then her and Jim Baker and like their rise in that world mm. and then their fall. Right. Um, and it's, uh, it's really good. Solid movie. I mean, she did win an Oscar, so I guess it's something. Uh, the Smurfs is another 80 thing, 80s thing. Yep. That's what Charlene's brother looked like after working in blue ink. And then my last 80s thing is the Chevy Chevette. That's the car the employee at Textile City wants to buy with the money that she's earning. Mm -hmm. uh, it was manufactured from the late 70s through the 80s. Oh, okay. All right. Good catch. Uh, the only other one I have in 80s uh, is Tucker. This is mentioned when Anthony is speaking to Mary Jo's mechanic. This was the 1988 movie with Jeff Bridges called 
Tucker, the man in his dream. I, you know, I don't think that's the best name for a movie, but who am I to say? Um, but it's about Preston Tucker. He's the maverick car designer, and it's about his ill-fated challenge to the auto industry with his revolutionary car concept. Um, we can link to an interesting article about his car that has been described like the Star Wars of that period. What was it? I don't remember. It said it's an interesting article. Oh, it wasn't the... Um... Uh, the Back to the Future car. No. No, that was... Huh. Interesting. Which they're making an electric version of that yeah. now. So, yeah. Yeah. Was the car of the future ahead That'll of That'll be my time. next car. <laughs> the DeLorean. That's yeah. the name I couldn't Just think of. Just get a DeLorean. Something practical, you know? Sure. Something to shuffle the kids around in. Of course. Um, Southern things? Somebody said hillbillies at some point. You've broken that one down for us in season one. Okay. Episode go. Do you know what episode it was? Oh, uh, episode four, season one. Look at that. Uh, another Stuckey's reference was in Suzanne's road trip diatribe. Uh, you want to say something about that? Yeah. Can we stay there for a second? Sure. Um, are you sure? Do you, what is that? No, all you're going to say is Stuckey's? Yeah, that's all I'm going to say because we've <laughs> talked about it before. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really a string of Southern references. And she paints a pretty specific stereotype. I think this is where we get the hillbillies, right? Yeah. But about who stays in motels. Mm. Stereotype, folks. A stereotype. I want to be very clear. But um, she says, well, it's fine if you have a bunch of hillbillies traveling to Rock City with a bunch of kids in the backseat playing license plate bingo and eating cold biscuits out of wax paper and stopping at Stucky's every five minutes for taffy. I'm just saying there's a lot of things there to unpack. It's we true. have Rock City. Mm -hmm. That is located at the top of Lookout Mountain, which is... In Tennessee, right? It's actually... Oh, no, Georgia. It's Georgia. And that's yeah. funny you say that because it is so far up there that I usually think it's in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just right inside the line, about six miles in. There's nature trails and panoramic views where you can see seven states. Um, but it's really turned into like a whole little touristy thing up there. The cold biscuit and wax paper. Oh, wait, I have one more thing to add about Rock City. Of course. Um, it opened in 1932, and it gained prominence after an artist painted Sea Rock City on barn roofs across the southeast. Okay. By 1969, more than 900 roofs and walls had been painted. And if you are from... The Sea Rock City? Sea Rock City. Have you seen... Do you not know what I'm talking about? I've seen Sea Rock City on things. I just thought it was like a marketing campaign. In the 1930s. Oh, that's a pretty was. good one. It was. How about an enduring legacy there? And so what I was going to say is if you've driven around the Southeast, you've probably seen mostly, I mostly see birdhouses that are little red barns with a yes. black roof and it says Sea Rock City. Yeah. There's one right outside my neighborhood, in fact. Uh, but I wanted to mention that because 900 roofs and walls having been painted by 1969, so 30 some odd years, that's a lot. That's a lot. That Have a lot. you Sorry, I to seen that. Rock City? <laughs> I believe, I think I asked Kyle this question. I think we went there. I have friends that live in Chattanooga. Yeah. And I think we went to visit them around Christmas and we saw some lights up near Rock City. And I think we went to Rock City. I'm sure I went as a kid too. Okay. It's on the list to go back as an adult. This is like that thing too where I just, 
I, this doesn't make any sense, but I get it because there's a cluster of like touristy things in that area. In that area, yeah. I get it confused with Anna Ruby Falls. That was just going through my head. Yeah. yeah. So, which I know for sure I've been to, but yeah. Sea Rock City, I'm actually not very sure. Yeah. I think they have, I was looking it up and actually thinking it would be a fun trip with the kids because what I read said that it was like the first mini golf in the Southeast or something. It hosted the first mini golf and I should have written all this down. Um, this man like built it for his wife, I think, and wanted it to be like this fun thing. And so it was the first mini golf place. And anyway, it's a, it's a fun little tourist place. Yeah. It's on it's the great. list to go back. We've either been or not, or not been. been. <laughs> you guys should totally go. Um, sea Rock City, would you like to be a sponsor? <laughs> sponsor a trip for us. We've, We'd love to go. <laughs> yeah. Then we can definitely say we've been. Right. We're, no questions. Somebody's getting tagged soon. <laughs> Um, so cold biscuit and wax paper. All I have to say is don't hate Suzanne. Some of the best biscuits you ever put in your mouth might be served in wax paper. Yeah. And the worst, but also the best. Also the best. You never know what you're going to get. It's a total crapshoot. It's usually like at a little gas station. Mm-hmm. It's worth the chance. Could be good. Take, take the chance. That's all I'm saying. If you're in the South and you see it, get it. Agreed. And then we've talked about Stuckies before, but I just wanted to mention that I feel like that's Bucky's 1.0. I think so. I don't know that I've been to a Stuckey's before. Well, I've never been to one. I mean, maybe when I was real little. Real little, right. I don't remember being to one, I should say. But the reason I say that is because there are rest stops, Mm -hmm. and they were really known for their clean bathrooms. Ah. But Stuckey's started in Georgia. So that is a Georgia-specific thing. Was Stuckey's the one that had Shoney's connected to it? In God's perfect world, it would be. Yeah. It sounds nice. Stuckey's Pecan Logs and Shoney's. And Breakfast Bar at Shoney's. That's a <sighs> little piece of heaven on earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay, I had... Oh, do you have other Southern things? I have one more. Oh, tell me about it. Azaleas. Uh-huh. So Julia uh, is mad because the protesters are traipsing through her azaleas. Uh, traipsing? Traipsing. <laughs> a deep dive tells me they're not unique to the South. They have them in Asia and South America, but on the list of areas with an azalea festival, there are about 1.2 million of them that are hosted in the South, (laughs) give or take a couple hundred. It feels like we took it over. I think so. Yeah. That's right. Um, It's because I actually, so uh, I think our research went different ways, but in the South. As per usual. was good. We're covering all the bases. (laughs) You will know everything about the azalea before we leave. No, but it became like a Southern garden staple in the 1830s from what I read. And they were actually first planted in South Carolina. Specifically Charleston. I don't know if you you ran past that or not. But actually what I have is that, here's what I'm trying to say. If you are in the South, and it is spring. You cannot swing a pan of crackling cornbread and not hit yourself an azalea. You're so extra. <laughs> You're so extra. Well, we're a Southern podcast. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, um, Suzanne mentions Coke Colas. Oh. Which I thought was a very good, like, Atlantan plug. Mm -hmm. Um, But she also did it right. She didn't say Coca-Cola. She said Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Which is, if it is a real, like, very southern person that is what you'll hear i don't say that Mm. but again i'm a terrible southerner you know um tammy wynette oh charlene refers to something suzanne said sounding like a tammy wynette song sounds like they're talking about the song d-i-v-o-r-c-e or divorce Mm. 
I don't know. Um, in Atlanta area deep cut, you all already mentioned the big chicken. You mm. already mentioned you had talked about it before, but I, what I could not remember from that Nikki's nibbles because it's been so long um, is whether or not you talked about what it was before it was a KFC. Did you talk about that? This feels familiar. It was a Johnny Rebs chick chuck and shake. No, man, we restaurant. didn't talk about this. Okay, so this is what it was before. Sounds way KFC. better than KFC. Sorry, KFC. Um, so it fix it featured Dixie fried chicken by the sack, by the box, or by the barrel. And a barrel of chicken was twenty one pieces for four seventy five. That is a freaking deal. Yeah, um, it's a good deal. It was a different time too. But I'd have to order a good. sack though. Uh, not the barrel. Sack is such a funny word. You just need a sack of chicken. Um, but we'll link to an article with more information on that Marietta landmark. Mm. It was a cool article. When was that? 60s, I think. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, 60s. I'm pretty sure. Um, and uh, finally, while I understand they needed a way to explain what this was to the audience, it's preposterous that a native like Julia wouldn't know what the big chicken was. She's like, what's the big chicken? I don't think so. I don't, you know how people who live in Atlanta are? That if they it's don't know out, what the big chicken is? If it's outside the perimeter, they don't know. They, yes. no offense to people who live inside the perimeter, but they yeah, are don't among, anyone. <laughs> they are among the people who are just like, if it is outside the perimeter, like, like we were talking about generations, not knowing, oh, I'm too young to know that. People who live inside the perimeter apparently have never left 285. They have no idea what's out there. And it feels like the wild west to them. Cause they are always like, where is that? That's like a million miles away. Right. And you're like, it's in Marietta. It's like. 20 minutes if there's no traffic. It's only a million miles away because traffic sucks. Yeah. It is a million minutes away. <laughs> yeah, right. With traffic. That's, that's what's going on there. We're, so I believe Julia hey, wouldn't know it. We're a big tent here inside the perimeter, people. <laughs> we need to... I've been, Include us. I lived, in, I lived inside the perimeter. The reason I didn't leave is because I didn't have a car. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a big, that's a big thing. And that's because... We also really need to amp up our... Um, Public transportation. That's correct. Yeah. So just a couple plugs there for Atlanta. Got some notes for you. <laughs> yeah, just need... But it's not Atlanta who's not trying to get out to the burbs. Yeah, it's maybe. the burbs who are trying to keep the Martas out. So that's another... We're all at fault here. That's a story for <laughs> Let's another Let's learn day. about one another. <laughs> right. Um, the only other Southern thing I had is... Who would have thought it would have been so hard to hem some daggum curtains? Asked mm. Charlene and daggum. Daggum. Well, that's pretty Southern. Mm-hmm. References we need to talk about? I think we should talk about pageant protesters. Oh. That was okay. something that Suzanne mentioned. Yeah. I told you, the steak lady. Okay. Uh, it caught my ear, and I found that a uh, 1968 protest of the Miss America pageant in Atlantic City may be the source of the mythical, quote, angry women burning bras image. Like bra burning. Yeah. Um, Several hundred women gathered that year to protest Miss America. They issued a document with 10 of their chief complaints, including racism, because black women weren't allowed to compete, Mm. the role of Miss America as a death mascot, since the queen had a role in entertaining the troops, and the elevation of mediocrity, since winners were expected to be unoffensive, bland, and apolitical. The article I found said, quote, the women plan to protest the image of Miss America, an image that oppresses women in every area in which it purports to represent us. The protest would feature a freedom trash can into which women could throw away all the physical manifestations of women's oppression, such as bras, girdles, curlers, false eyelashes, wigs, and 
representative issues of Cosmopolitan, Ladies Home Journal, and Family Circle, along other along with other magazines, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the organizers also proposed a concurrent boycott of companies whose products were used in or sponsored the pageant. Uh, and male reporters would not be allowed to interview protesters, which remains one of the lovely, loveliest details of the protest, is what the article said. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's fantastic. But I, when she, she was talking about pageant protesters, and that doesn't sound unusual to me. That does feel like something that would be protested. But I just, that one protest, for whatever reason, stuck out to me, I think because of the bra burning. And I was like, oh, is that what it refers to? I'm so glad you mentioned that. And let me tell you why. Tell me why. In my bra extra sugar, how did I not talk about burning bras? And how there's also... There's so much else to cover. There's such a false legacy around that, yeah. right? There's so much that comes... That is like... Um, like these... It's become like mythical and not correct. And not talking about these other aspects that you're talking about. Mm. And so, uh, thank you for uh, tacking on <laughs> <laughs> to my extra sugar. That was for you. <laughs> thank you. I'll burn my bra right now. <laughs> I also had to look up whether there was actually an ink factory in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, because that's what Charlene said ink? her brother. Oh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. okay. Right, right, right. Why her brother was Smurf. blue. Mm-hmm. I didn't find any evidence of an ink factory. Lies. But I did find this, that the largest U.S. nail manufacturer, so like nails you hammer into the wall, sure. mid-continent steel and wire is located in Poplar Bluff. It is one of 15 nail companies in the U.S. and accounted for half of U.S. nail production as of June 2018. That's a lot. It's a lot. So there's some manufacturing in Poplar Bluff, just not maybe an ink factory. Right. Interesting. I Googled ink factory Poplar Bluff, and it kept coming up with a business called the ink factory where you get your, like, printer ink. Guessing mm-hmm. that's not the same ink factory she was talking about. Sure. So that was the closest I could find. And because I'm committed to finding a thing, Maybe I bring you the nail company. the visual with what would happen bad with nails would oh. not have been funny. I would have laughed hysterically. About someone getting nailed to death? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds yeah. hilarious. Well, it's like in Home Alone when he has the nail gun go through him. It's funny every time. Physical comedy, you know? Yeah. I, I feel I like all it makes me think of is my mom. Like she couldn't watch that movie because she said all of the stuff that kept happening to them like made her like she could. She said she like felt their pain. Like she was like, I all of this feels like is like painful to me. Don't we feel like they deserved it though? Yeah, I mean, don't go after Kevin McAllister. That's what. That... Or just like any child, you know. <laughs> no, just Kevin McAllister. <laughs> just him. Just Macaulay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just him. Um, fair point. Um, I only had one. It was, but is well, it's. Technically two, but it's because she says she says it all in one stride, which is this is uh, Suzanne talking, and she said, "What are you, the USO for the AF of LCIO?" Oh, which was like a lot of I got lost. It was very governmenty sounding mm-hmm. there. Anyways, USO is in the United Service Organization, so we're talking about like the USO that goes and does things for the troops. Right. So, um, but they are the nation's leading charitable organization serving active duty service members and military families. Uh, the other piece is the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organization. That rolls right off the tongue. Mm-hmm. Or also known as the largest federation of unions in the United States. This is the start of a good segue into this week's Extra Sugar. And my only other parting thought here is this is one of those Suzanne references where I feel like they can't decide if she's well-read or not. Right. That seems like a very specific acronym to know about. Just saying. Um, So 
That's all for me. Do we have anything in the old cut lines? We had two. Um, so after Suzanne says, well, you'd think the Lord would have a little more taste when talking about motels. She also says, especially considering what goes on in those places. I mean, a million years ago, he blew up Sodom and Gomorrah. And back then they didn't even have vibrating water beds. So Julia says, Suzanne, despite your lurid and oddly well-informed fantasies, this motel happens to be a family establishment. Thank you very much. Then there was a big old cut line after Mary Jo said that it keeps the cold keeps the rats in their holes. And before Suzanne said, I don't care, I'm, I'm just starving. And it under just I'm bringing it up because it underscored the bad working conditions. Mm, okay. Uh, so I think Suzanne says, can we please stop making those rat references? Suzanne, it wasn't a rat you saw. It was just a little mouse like Mickey. You like Mickey Mouse, don't you? Charlene, don't patronize me. That wasn't Mickey Mouse. That rat I saw, he wasn't wearing little pants and shoes and gloves. He was eating a candy wrapper. Mickey Mouse doesn't run around because he can't get into garbage cans eating candy wrappers. Wouldn't it be great if he did? I mean, you know, if a guy that wears that big mouse suit at Disneyland acted like a real rodent, you know, instead of shaking hands and having his picture taken with the kids, he just stole candy and hid under things. Mary Jo, you're getting punchy. I think we need to get you something to eat. Forget about that lunchroom. It's just a closet with two old vending machines. I just had a Butterfinger with a little fur coat on it. Doesn't sound good. That Mary Jo part sounds like Charlene. I thought it was. I would have thought that was Charlene talking. Yeah, I thought it was. She was getting punchy. She was getting punchy. She turned into Charlene. Don't give her any liquor right now. <laughs> it wouldn't go well. Get that lady some pork rinds. <laughs> so that's it. All right. Next episode, episode eight, The Wilderness Experience. Ooh. As always, we'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage. Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. Email sweetteatvpod at gmail.com. And our website is www.sweetteatv.com. And if you visit that web link, you can support us. You can click the support us uh, tab and find ways um, that you can support the show. And you can also tell your family and friends about the show because we love new listeners. And hang tight for Extra Sugar where we're talking about... Workers' rights in southern states. It's gonna be a banger. <laughs> well, we'll see you around the bend. Bye. Welcome to this week's edition of Extra Sugar. So, this week's episode was squarely focused on an age-old story. The worker versus the employer, or the manager, or the man, however you want to put the it. The man, that's how I want to put it. The man, the Boo. man, the man. Okay, <laughs> we'll have our own extra segment in this extra sugar. Um, but as you, know, as you and I were planning this season's extra sugars, uh, we had like a little bit of a side conversation about labor unions in the South or really the lack of unions in the South. And that was pretty much the genesis for this one. So um, I also probably need to go ahead and admit that that was pretty much the breadth and depth of my knowledge <laughs> about this entire thing. I was like, oh gosh, I think she thinks I might know more than I know. But you do now, don't you? Uh, sh- Sure. Well, <laughs> well, you tell me after we're done. Okay. Uh, I researched a lot, uh, but the history of labor in this country is long, it's storied, it's complicated. Um, today, what we cover is really a mere drop in the bucket, 
and I, I'm not a labor expert, so I don't know if that's clear or not. I'm simply a laborer. <laughs> At best. Um, so I'm, I'm also not claiming to be an expert. Uh, rather, what I thought was that this could be an opportunity for us to do a couple of things together. One, let's check in on where labor unions are in general. They've been in the news quite a bit lately, at least over the course of the spring. There's always going to be a little lag between when we have these conversations and when they actually air. Um, but it's almost impossible to talk about what's happened in the South without talking about unions because Southern policy is largely a reaction to them. Or at mm. least in my reading it was. Please feel free to direct message us if you think I'm wrong. <laughs> um, but then what we'll do is we'll talk about the South specifically and how that reaction has shaped the laws and policies that continue to this day. So like you said. <laughs> real banger. It's going to be a real banger. <laughs> um, but uh, do stop me if you have questions. Jump in anytime. Uh, and we'll make resources available for anyone who wants to dig in further. I'm just going to say generally though that like... If I was just going to do a 10-minute se segment on this, it wasn't even worth doing because it's too complicated for it to be just 10 minutes. So, Oh. <sighs> oh, no. Let's do a quick primer for listeners who need one. And to be clear, I needed one just to get back to the basics when I started researching. Uh, everyone should know that there are a lot of federal laws in place that cover millions of workers, workplaces, and workplace activities, about 200 to be exact. And these cover things like minimum wage, overtime, child labor prevention. That's actually the genesis of the labor unions, I believe. Oh, uh huh. And protecting jobs for those who have to take urgent family or medical leave. What I'm trying to say is if you think your job is bad today, Mm -hmm. Go look in the past because it was even worse. Especially if it was like manual labor. Yes. Like farming sort of stuff. Sure. Um, but today we're going to focus the conversation on two major camps in the U.S., labor unions and right-to-work states. There is a lot of rhetoric out there on both sides, which made research challenging. Um, you know, both sides state an intention to protect workers while accusing the other side of trying to take away workers' rights. And I am purposely using the word accusing because there is a lot of accusatory language. Um, further, because the different organizations' language was also very loaded, I pulled the definitions from the most neutral places I could find. So Merriam-Webster tells us that <laughs> labor unions are an organization of workers formed for the purpose of advancing its members' interests in respect to wages, benefits, and working conditions, and right to work is opposing or banning the closed shop and the union shop. This is specifically a place of work where membership in a union is a condition for being hired and for continued employment. For the record, there are open shops, which means uh, this is where uh, a business where a union exists, but union membership is not a condition of being hired. Before we continue, I want to say that we're entering this conversation with a lot of respect. Uh, we're talking about people's livelihoods here, so I want to be really aware of that. Um, I've had family members in three industries where unions loom large, automobile, railroads, and the airlines. So, um, you know, some have been workers, others have been management. 
It turns out I even had a, I have a union rep in the family. Had no idea. Hmm. Um, I've never talked to anyone close to labor with lukewarm feelings. They're usually very passionate about it. And those feelings really run the gamut. They're all over the place. Um, so I just want to say we understand these are very serious issues and we're going to treat them as such. Uh, so let's talk about labor unions. Okay. All right. So coincidentally, they've gained momentum recently due to a quote unquote union friendly administration coupled with worker frustration that really ramped up during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people were having a tough time. So uh, we're seeing in real time how workers are faring in their efforts to organize at big companies like Starbucks and Amazon, places where you didn't um, historically see that kind of thing happen. Mm -hmm. Their success has really varied, but according to an NPR article, union election petitions have surged with the National Labor Relations Board uh, up 57% in the first half of fiscal year 2022. And that's over the prior year. So despite this momentum, union membership is really low in the U.S. You want to take a guess about what percentage of private sector people? 8%. That's pretty good. Roughly 10% Mm. are unionized. That number actually jumps to a third among public sector workers. Mm. So why is it so low? For one, organizing, not easy, Mm -hmm. especially in manufacturing. According to Kate Bronfenbrenner, she's the director of labor education research at Cornell, there's a 75% chance the employer will threaten to move production out of the country when you go to unionize. Can I add something here? Please. While you were talking, I was looking down at my phone because I was trying to find, I listened to a podcast episode about unions Mm -hmm. along, like several months ago coinciding with us talking about this extra sugar mm-hmm. it's freakonomics radio it's oh, great. episode mm-hmm. 496 do unions still work and one of the undercurrents of the episode was the concept of setting up a union at amazon and one of the things they talked about was how like um for that petition when um employees it's been a couple of minutes minutes since i listened to it so i might have some of this wrong but like when employees went to submit their ballot for whether they wanted to vote for or against the union amazon installed like a camera over the ballot box and they say like it was to keep from like ballot stuffing and all that sort of stuff but the people who were voting feel like they're watching us yeah they also timed the red lights on campus so that union um, people standing out trying to hand out pamphlets about the union or whatever didn't have the time to hand them to people because the red lights turned too quickly. So there were these steps that the company allegedly, I'm saying allegedly because sure, sure. I didn't research this myself. Yeah. This was in this episode, but steps that employees report the company took to keep them from setting up a union. So oh, wow. yeah. silver scotch, but worth listening to the episode because it tells a lot about some of the things you're talking about. Yeah, I think, I'm like, or just turn this off and probably go listen to that one. No, I think there's more. Selena has more to offer. We'll see. Well, we will have a They didn't talk about the Southern angle. That's right. This is different. Um, So uh, the other big thing, in addition to like the kind of things you're talking about and just really the companies putting up some major barricades there are the laws themselves and the union laws. So these haven't been updated since 1947. And that can also make starting a union difficult. Mm. Um, Apparently too, like I don't have this right in front of me, but that time was in the forties was a very anti-union time. So they were really trying to um, put up more barriers and it seemed to have worked. Mm. Um, in my reading, there have been several failed attempts over the last 50 or so years to reform labor laws. 
but here we are. Um, Americans are largely in favor of unions. A 2021 Gallup poll found 68% approve of them. This is the highest percentage since 1965. It's just a, so 10% are, <laughs> and 68% are for. Mm. Those, that's quite a disparity there. Um, but Pew Research Center also reported the majority of adults see the decline of union membership as bad for the U.S. and for working people. So just to give us an idea of like, okay, but where are Americans on this? Um, there is frankly a lot of propaganda on both sides. I want to run through some pros and cons for unions before we move on to the South. Because really, I'm trying to be as balanced about this as I absolutely can be. Can I ask you a question about the numbers real quick? Sure. So 10% of uh, public employees are members of unions. Private. Uh, sorry, private. That's mm-hmm. what I meant. About 10%. 60% of Americans are for unions. Do we know of that 60%, like how many are eligible to be in a union? Does that's that a, speak to some of the disparity? That's a great question that I do not know the answer to. Yeah. Um, I, I, it could just be with the types of jobs, right. if that's what you're getting at. Yeah. But I think also what unions are trying to do, especially when we're thinking about um, Amazon, Starbucks, Starbucks, these like kind of gig employees. Yeah. As I I think, I I imagine, and from my reading, I think they're trying to figure out how do we get employees of this nature to organize because we don't have as many manufacturing jobs anymore. Right. It's changed. So I think a lot of that is just like these. Uh, I think there's probably some bureaucracy in these mm. organizations. Look at the names of these places. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all right. you have to know to know there's probably some paperwork there. Yeah. So I think that is probably having to um, catch up with the changing landscape of the economy itself. Mm. And it mm-hmm. seems like it's probably a slow moving ship. That is all my thoughts on it. So take yeah. that with a grain of salt. Please. Okay. Okay. So let's jump into the pros of unions. So according to the AFL-CIO, which we talked about earlier, again, I'm not even going to go through what that means because blickety-blockety-blookety-bloop is what it sounds like to me. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's the largest federation of unions in the United States. They claim that union workers earn higher wages, on average about 200 more a week than their non-union counterparts. They're more likely to have employer-provided pensions and health insurance, safer worker working conditions that prevent death, illness, and injury, and better workplace and working conditions without fear of retaliation. They also say that they advocate for things like flexible schedules, paid vacation, and wages and benefits that keep up with the cost of living. Sound like good things. I mean, I'm not going to argue with any of those things. I want them all. <laughs> so... <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. As someone who doesn't run a business and isn't worried about profits, that all sounds great. Yes, I will take it. I'll I'm take on the all laborer side twice. Yes, <laughs> if we could get down to that four-day work week. Sounds also, great, please. Um, so I ran across a Fox Business article. To be clear, because it's Fox affiliated, it was both pros and cons. But for this, we're going to talk about the cons. Now, union dues and initiation fees was number one on the list. That article said that they can cost anywhere from two hundred to several hundreds of dollars per year. I want to say for the record that I spoke with someone who used to work for an airline. They paid mandatory union dues. It was 6% of their base salary. That is more than a couple hundred dollars. That's a lot. I think so. So I don't know what their base salary was. Well, sure. 6% 6 of of anything is a lot. Okay. So uh, I just, I feel like that's an important thing to say because that feels very different than what the article was saying. 
A member may not agree with every union decision, but they are bound to that decision. Oh, dang. Another con. Mm -hmm. Workers have reported it's a less collaborative work environment, so it can feel less like a partnership between the boss and the employee. Mm. The political climate can turn against unions, Mm -hmm. and you're in one. So Mm -hmm. that's there's probably some disadvantage there. The advantage of seniority can be detrimental to newer employees. Mm. So uh, I will tell you also that I had someone tell me that basically a company was deciding to let people go. They were part of a union. The reason they were let go is because of their start date. Oh. It was just later. Oh, dang. That's it. So first in, first out. Uh, It's great if you have seniority. It sucks if you came in last. Right. So, eh, okay. Um, For what it's worth, I will say that the article's parting thought is that workers are better off with unions than without one, Mm. just to Mm -hmm. give the full scope of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another con, I I cannot gloss over this because it is just part of the history, and that is organized criminal groups like the mafia infiltrating, influencing, or even controlling labor unions through fear and intimidation of employers and union members through threats and violence. Um, So it's prevalent enough, this happening, uh, that the Department of Justice's Organized Crime and Gang Section has a dedicated labor management racketeering unit. Holy crap, it's prominent even today. Uh, So I looked up something that said within the last few years, this unit worked with Detroit to charge and obtain guilty pleas from the Fiat Chrysler Association, also known as the FCA. Officials of the FCA and the United Auto Workers, or UAW, union involving more than $3.5 million in illegal payments and gifts from FCA to officials of the UAW. Blowing my mind. So that was just in the last couple of years. That's crazy. Um, what I wasn't able to glean from my research was like, I mean, how frequently does this happen today? Mm-hmm. Um, my guess is that it happens, but not as much with the resources and attention that these crimes get. Mm-hmm. Like, we're past the days of Jimmy Hoffa. Right. Okay? But, like, obviously things are still happening or we wouldn't know about this. Right. Let's talk about the South. Uh, when you do that pivot... There are only 5% of Southern workers who belong to a union. That's half the national average. Oh, wow. So, and when you look at union membership, uh, between 2020 and 2021, it actually fell by 13.5% in Southern states. And that's versus 2.2% in states outside the South. Yikes. Again, I just want to set up this disparity of like how much less common it is here than Mm -hmm. in other parts of the country. Uh, Here's something else. Every single Southern state is a right-to-work state. Did you know Mm. that? I did not know that, and I only recently learned what that means. I didn't know that it was every single Southern state. Mm. I do want to be clear that there are 10 right-to-work states outside of the South, but it is really telling that every Southern state is a right-to-work state. So I feel like that's something I just want to... Every southern state. So looking at the region's history really helps us to understand how we got here. According to a Sokolo essay that we'll link to, since the 1880s, the promise of cheap labor in the South has been used as a way to entice industrial employers to come here. Yay! <laughs> um, and unions were fought by the South on multiple levels, sometimes with brute force by law enforcement, and or like essentially these henchmen would be hired by businesses, And I think they would just, like, 
beat the crap out of people. So, oh my God, that sounds like criminal or behavior. Or like intimidate them. It is definitely criminal oh my behavior. Gosh. Uh, but it was also something that was happening through the discourse of politicians who tied labor unions to abolitionists of the 1850s and quote unquote race mixing of the NAACP of the 1950s. For context, because it's 2022, okay? When I hear things like abolitionist and NAACP, I think, cool, what's the problem? Mm. Uh, these sound like great things to me. I'm guessing these were highly demonized groups, particularly among whites in the post-Civil War South. Uh, it wasn't just politicians. It wasn't just law enforcement. It was also community business leaders editors even the churches were all they were all fighting tooth and nail against unions it reads to me like community leaders in the south were leveraging the fear and mistrust southerners have for outsiders especially during the reconstruction era gosh <laughs> uh, well here we go in the mid-1940s <laughs> there was actually a big push by unions to come in here and like to come in here to come in here to our backyard oh, another war of northern aggression <laughs> um anyways this was known as operation dixie and they were going to organize the non-union textile industry in the south i thought that was an interesting angle given that this episode of designing women is centered around textiles right um that's interesting so but the operation was met with some pretty strong rhetoric and opposition Industrial union leadership were accused of being communist or communist leaning. Mm -hmm. um, the other crushing blow, the threat of desegregation in what was still the Jim Crow South. Right. Uh, the unions were ultimately sent packing, and the textile industry in the region remained ununionized. So, excellent. Almost simultaneously to Operation Dixie, from 44 to 54, southern states put the weight of the law behind the anti union sentiment. So this is when the right to work statutes come into play, outlawing the practice of requiring all employees of union represented plants to belong to the union or pay dues. And frankly, I'd say the numbers bear it out. It worked. And this is kind of why policy matters. The, that same Sokolow essay I was talking about earlier. So they provided a really interesting example of what this looks like and how these policies play out with the modern backdrop. So since 1980, there's been an onslaught of car manufacturers who've come specifically to the South. That list includes Toyota, Mercedes, BMW, Honda, Kia, Hyundai, and Volkswagen. And to quote Sokolow, not a single production workforce at any of these heavily subsidized foreign auto plants has opted to join the United Auto Workers. Uh, some even basically said they can get away with things here that they can't back home or in other countries. Oh, dang. Hmm. So that's a really interesting article. That's why I'm saying like we'll link to things so that you can look at it and see and make, th make heads or tails of things for yourself. All right, there's also an interesting union track blog outlining the reasons why organized labor has been such a tremendous failure in the South. As the author mentions, it's political and it's social, but there were a few things that really stood out to me that feel worth talking about right now. One is the legacy of Southern agriculture versus Northern industry mm -hmm. that continues to influence Southern workers' opinions of labor unions and organizations. So this is steeply rooted in a time when Southerners saw this industrialization and this labor organization as a threat to their agricultural way of life. Oh. Uh, there's also a history of politicians seizing power 
by exploiting racial tensions as well as Southern employers taking advantage of racial divisions to pit workers against each other. Good Lord. Everybody's bad everywhere. It's, oh, my gosh. It's, it was a really interesting read. Um, and then this one I've seen myself, and that's a pride that many Southerners, including those in leadership, have about being a quote-unquote union-free zone. So again, on balance, let's talk about the pros and cons of right-to-work states because it's not all cons and it's not all pros. There's a little bit of everything going on. So the pros, this is according to the National Right-to-Work Legal Defense Foundation. They claim right-to-work states on average have greater after-tax income and purchasing power than do those families living in non-right-to-work states. I just want to say that's a pretty high concept thing to share with people as like an advantage <laughs> compared to like your wages are higher. <laughs> so I think their your argument gross is domestic product is above average. You know what I'm saying? Their argument is more like your dollar goes further. So I don't know. They also claim greater economic vitality in these states, pointing to Department of Labor statistics that show faster growth in manufacturing and non-agricultural jobs lower employment rates, and fewer work stoppages. This, I would imagine, would be because fewer strikes. You know, because they fire you when you strike. Right. Right-to-work advocates argue that these laws give workers more flexibility to decide if they want to join a union or not. And you could also argue you have more power over your own money because you're not paying these initiation fees and dues. There was also a 2019 study in the Journal of Law and Economics that found workers reported greater life satisfaction after their state became a right-to-work state. Uh, they looked at several different explanations for this, but the most likely seemed to be that right-to-work laws improve employer-employee relationships and encourage unions to better serve their members. Here's the cons. So basically, the they're the pros of unions. <laughs> so you have lower wages, fewer benefits. And while there are some federal protections, it's easier for non-union members to be fired at any time and just about for any reason. Mm -hmm. uh, according to Fairy God Boss, oh, look, guys, it was really hard to find. <laughs> it's really hard to find information sometimes. Um, some argue that right-to-work laws make American businesses less competitive globally because they're forced to compete with low-wage countries. And if you're pro-union, then these laws prevent unions for, from collecting funds that support themselves in campaigns, and they diminish union power. And obviously, you don't want your union to have less power if you are pro-union. Right. So, finally, I just have to say, as I was going through these pros and cons and, like, trying to come up with something that's objective, that I found it really annoying that both AFL-CIO and the Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation are really terrible about citing their sources. <laughs> Be better, y'all. Be better, okay? If you're claiming statistics and you're citing studies and then I can't link to them, I find you to be an untrustworthy source. So I'm just saying. I will also say that it was easier for me to confirm AFL's claims than it was for me to confirm um, the right-to-work stuff. So stop looking so fishy. So... Like so many things that we cover in Extra Sugar, this is decidedly complicated. And it's no wonder there's a strong cultural element to one's view on labor. 
it's something that gets wrapped up in a person's identity, like even, you know, I have heard people say like, I'm a union man, you know, yeah. I mean, like it's, it's like written into a person's what personhood, uh, how they feel is steeped in their relationship to social issues as well as swayed by politics. Not to mention, we're talking about people's livelihoods, as I mentioned towards the beginning. That is literally serious business. For me personally, I think I'm still figuring it out, but I'm always going to take pause when anyone or anything that has that you're either with us or you're against us mentality, I'm already going to question you because Mm -hmm. as you and I have discussed before, that whole black and white thing feels like a really false dichotomy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of gray in there and I want to explore the gray. Uh, It's not surprising for the respective camps to be subjective, but where are the objective groups on labor? Everything felt very divisive. And that if that's the case, are workers really getting the objective information they need to make an informed decision? And my takeaway is either they're not getting that information or it's really flipping hard. And can you tell me where you were finding it? Mm. Um, you know, whether, wherever you sit, And whether you're for unions or you're not, there's no denying that labor policies matter. They directly affect us every single day. And for better or worse, they have helped to shape our workforce, our economy, and the quality of life for many. And they're going to continue to do so. What's behind every policy? Oh, a politician. And funnily enough, their influence kept popping up in my research over and over and over and over again, sometimes helping workers, but also many times hurting them. The recurring theme, self-interest over that of the people they represent, and party over progress. No side of the aisle was without fault. So, as the people they represent scratch and fight for every nickel and dime, we should ask ourselves, What benefits do our representatives have? And how does that square with what we have? According to a 2020 Open the Book Oversight Report, regular Congress members earn $174,000 a year. They hold a taxpayer-funded pension after five years of service, and the U.S. House spent a whopping $4.3 million on overseas travel in 2019 alone. Talk about living high on the hog. They have a special pin, and this pin gets members around the lines, the license plate, which allows free parking and sometimes in illegal zones, 72% subsidize health insurance, a $25 per month on-site Capitol Hill gym membership with a swimming pool, sauna, steam room, and paddle ball. There is an on-site beauty salon and member-dedicated subway to shuffle members around the hill. They've exempted themselves from certain federal laws, the Freedom of Information Act, safety and health investigatory subpoenas, protections against retaliation for whistleblowers, and there's also a dedicated settlement fund to get them out of hot water administered through the Office of Compliance. So, if you hear that list and your benefits don't feel similar, perhaps that's why a topic why like labor matters. Who is fighting for you? What are they fighting for? So whether you're in the South, North, East, or West, make sure you know. And whoever you back, whatever you back, make sure they're supporting you too. And that's this week's Extra Sugar. <laughs>